The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and second comings. Rudy and Gabby join us for episode 62, recorded in Sydney. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Australia's Indigenous people to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Kat Mayo from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. The past few weeks have been pretty hectic for the Book Thingo crew. And Rudy particularly has decided to take a short sabbatical. So this episode, we're throwing back to something we planned and recorded a little while ago. You might remember that for Valentine's Day, we invited you to send us recordings of yourself reading favourite scenes from romance novels you love. We were overwhelmed by the number of recordings you sent and the joy that episode brought. So as a special gift, we wanted to share some of the gems that didn't make it. To keep me on track and bring a little bit of credibility to the show. Okay, I'm pretty sure I didn't write that in the script. Thank you, Rudy. I invited BookThinger co-bloggers Gabby and Rudy to join me once again. You can find information on the titles and authors we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 62. And don't forget, if you're a live tweeter, please use hashtag BTPod so we can find you. didn't even come in. No, because... We sang your theme and we faded down and you didn't talk. You. But you had to come. You were like, hey guys, welcome to the book thing. Po- nothing. Oh, sorry. I always miss it. the intro. Always. <laughs> never recorded a podcast right? Like, I just feel like every time we do this, it's like it's but I don't time. Record, but I never record a podcast like that. We really wanted to make it seem organic and now it's obvious that it's all manufactured. Thanks, Anyway. Kat. That's okay. Anyway. Hey, I'm Rudy. I'm Kat. I'm Gabby. Rudy has a plan to do a podcast in front of a live audience. Oh, this was actually yes. Like, can I be part of the podcast? Yeah, yeah. So this was this was a conversation that Kat and I have had off and on for a while about doing a live episode of the Book Thingo podcast, and obviously it would be the three of us. I don't know why when she said live podcast, I thought she meant record the podcast and broadcast it live. In my head, I'm thinking, does Rudy think we're ready for, for that? It's on the radio. <laughs> That's what I'm right? thinking. I was like, because when she finally said that to me oh, yesterday, yeah. I was like, radio. no, obviously it's just in front of a live audience and then we repackage it. And then I was like, for oh, the podcast. That's so really much easier. <laughs> You're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. I know. And I was feeling so happy that Rudy was confident enough <laughs> in our... She's not. In our... <laughs> but anyway, in the Valentine's Week podcast, we and fellow readers yes. read extracts from favourite books and then we talked about them. So we, we're doing kind of Valentine's Day 2.0. That's fine. I think that the spirit... Like, people are always like, you shouldn't just celebrate love on one day. You should celebrate it all the time. Like, that's an argument. So that's what we're doing. We're just celebrating Valentine's Day every day, but only twice. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. We're going to start with friend of the show, 
Sophie, who you may remember as Alt World Rudy in our anniversary, Better our second. Rudy, some yeah, say. some some would say that. Some would be right to say that. <laughs> Upgraded Rudy. <laughs> I'm kidding. Rudy 2.0 for Valentine's 2.0. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sophie. I like reading romances, particularly historical romance. Also enjoy being Rudy on the Book Thingo podcast. Today I'm going to be reading a passage from Across the Moonlit Sea by Marsha Canham. It's a historical romance. It's a pirate romance. This particular passage, though, it's not between the hero and the heroine, but it's actually between the heroine and her father. I'm sorry, lass. Tis the drink and all, you know. I'm not good at giving advice on such things. For a man, it's different. He sees something he wants and he takes his ease and walks away with a clear head in the morning. For a lass, well, what kind of father tells his daughter to go and scratch the itch if she's got it? The itch? The itch, lass. The itch. He waved a flustered hand in the approximate vicinity of his crotch and scowled. You're not a virgin for pity's sake. You must know what I mean. And don't go puffing yourself up like a peahen trying to deny it. He's not the ugliest bastard on this earth, and neither are you. And if he makes you feel like you're wanting to come out of your clothes all the time, well then, you got the itch for him, plain and simple. Both stared, and Spence glowered, an addendum. As long as that's all it is, is an itch. You wouldn't be expecting anything more from him, would you? Bo's mouth sagged, open to reply, but she was cut short. Because he had one wife already he couldn't tame, and I dare be looking for another. You knew he was married, did you not? She found a voice and her indignation. Yes, I knew, and I wasn't... Did you also know she whelped two bastards on him when he was away at sea? No, she admitted softly. I didn't. Ah, well, it's not the kind of thing a man like him would talk about too freely. Nor is it the kind of thing he would forget or forgive too soon. Seems she got caught twice with her legs too wide and her belly too full and tried to tell him they were his. He knew they weren't, being as how he was away at sea both times. With the first, I heard he forgave her and even offered to give the brat his name. With the second, he disowned the lot, petitioned the court for a divorce and took himself off to sea nearly two years before he ventured back home. It's likely he'd keep himself well away from any more grasping females for fear of being duped again, just like you carve a man's liver out it if he smiles at you all on account of what that knobber-licking Nate Hawthorne did to you. I am hardly a grasping female, she said with a flush of resentment, and Nate Hawthorne is not the only reason I keep to myself. Maybe not, but he's the best excuse you can think of in a pinch. God above, girl, you can't judge all men by the measure of Nate Hawthorne. He was a bastard and led you by the nose, promised you all manner of things he had no intentions of giving you. Use him to make your soundings and yell dry up like a piece of salted fish. Are you telling me I should keep the door to my cabin open all the time? No, I'm not, he surged forward, pointing a stubbed finger at her. I'm not telling you in any shape or form to go out and jump on every man who waves his nethers at you, for I'll not have any daughter of mine called a whore. He bristled himself back against his prop of cushions and glared. But I am saying it's a hard life you've chosen for yourself, and sometimes you just have to take your pleasure where you can find it. (laughs) I've never had that conversation with your dad. Please, like... I'm never, like never, never. <laughs> Gabby's crossing herself. Never, ever, ever, ever. That's a, Dante. I love that name. <laughs> I love how that, like, you picked up on the hero. Like, I was like, okay. like he's not there. I, I was know he's not too taken by the fact that they know each other's sexual history. But, no, but like, I, I'm trying to. So I'm looking this up on Goodreads because I have read this book, but I can't remember. I think she might have been the daughter of a pirate as well, and that's why 
the language between her and her dad is quite like it's a frank yeah I I think if he's not a pirate then he's a privateer it's something like that like yeah I don't know if I could make it through that scene I love that series but also the second book has the daughter of this couple and she's a pirate it's called the iron rose that was the first Marsha Canham I read and then I read all her books as many as I could find I've never read any of her books have you read any no amazing she's quite old school is she yeah Mm -hmm. I feel like she is of the era of like just before Johanna Lindsay. I don't know. You keep referencing Johanna Lindsay, but she's not in my like list of authors. She that... was seminal. I've, to yeah, not, not, not yeah, that no, I read. I, I've read a couple of her pirate ones. And also Darlene Marshall is the other pirate oh. historical romance author that I rate. I think it's a good time to go into the next reading. And it's funny that Rudy's given me this book to intro because it's the book that they have been telling me to read, both Kat and Rudy, for a while. It was on the list that Rudy originally gave me and I read all of them except this one and it's because it's a damn trilogy. But Chachik loves this and she's going to read from Burn For Me by Ilona Andrews. His eyes narrowed. You're still upset about the basement? Yes, but my personal dislike of you has nothing to do with my decision. This is a purely professional choice. You've broken the law by kidnapping me, and although you apologized, your apology wasn't sincere. It was a means to an end. You've rearranged the restaurant, someone else's property, to accommodate your personal needs. You lied to me during this conversation, and you tried to trap me into a spell after assuring me that I wouldn't be harmed. I assured you that you wouldn't be kidnapped. You are incredibly powerful and you have a blatant disregard for laws and moral constraints. I'm guessing that you don't think anything you ever do is wrong. That makes you very dangerous and a huge liability in my line of work. You will break laws and kill to get what you want. And if I manage to survive, I'll be left with the fallout. So the answer is no. This isn't wise Nevada. I take care of my employees. The sound of my name coming from him derailed me for half a second. Trading being in debt to M2 for servitude to house Rogan. No thank you. At least with M2, there were rules. There was a legal binding contract. And what they were doing to us was underhanded, but within the bounds of that contract. My value to them was tied to my ability as an investigator. My value to Rogan was tied to me somehow getting him together with Adam Pierce, And Rogan wasn't bound by any rules. I had no business getting in bed with him. In bed. With Mad Rogan. My mind conjured him naked on dark sheets. I slammed the door on that thought so fast that my teeth shook. I pulled two twenties out of my pocket and put them on the table. I don't have any reason to trust the word you say. He leaned forward. His body tensed. His muscles flexing under his clothes. His face turned predatory. All of that civilized veneer tore, and here he was, a dragon in all of his terrible glory. Do not walk away from me. His voice vibrated with power. You're in over your head. Adam Pierce, House Pierce, and M2 are out of your league. I'm offering to become your ally. Don't make me into an enemy or you will regret it. And this is exactly why it's a no. I rose. And the next time you choose to project into my dreams... Do keep your clothes on. He smiled. 
It was a very male, self-aware smile, not just sexual, but carnal. The predatory look in his eyes turned ravaging. I felt the need to grab a napkin and hold it in front of me like a shield. I can reject, but I would have to be next to you to do it. Oh, crap. His voice turned smooth and sensual. A man had no right to sound like that. Tell me, what wasn't I wearing in your dreams? So Chachik was actually the person who got me into Ilona Andrews. She gifted me a copy of Burn For Me and then I read it, like, luckily. I didn't realise, but they had actually written this book and then the sequel didn't come out for, like, two years after. But luckily when she sent it to me, the sequel's coming out, like, a few months after. Yeah, um, way longer than two years. Gabby, Was do you it? remember? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Gab, do you remember when we went to RT in New Orleans? Oh. In 2013. Yeah. I got a sample chapter while I was there because I loved Alona Andrews and she I happened got it to be too. there. And so I took that sample chapter, which pretty much looks like it was printed out at home from a PDF. Yeah. Um, and then the book itself came out a few months after that. And yeah, fast that forward like time. four something no years. Way. It was one of those things where they had two books out quite close together and they were both from different series and they were both the start of different series. And the thing was like, whichever one did the best was the one that they would continue. And apparently it wasn't the Hidden Legacy series and I didn't read the other one. But I can see why the other one is more successful because the other one is more urban fantasy broad appeal with a more rich uh, set of characters and world building. But the Hidden Legacy series is the romance so in it. Like in the first book, it's not as big of a focus, but you know it's coming. And I just love her family. Like her family's. It's Stephanie so Plum if Stephanie yes. Plum was competent. Didn't want to say anything, but yeah. No, but that for real. It's how you've defined it to me yes. several times. Yes. I've had four years to work on that analogy. <laughs> but I think the... it's uh it's actually the perfect description of the series. Yeah. And I don't know why you skipped it, Gabby. Can you just mm-hmm. can you understand? No, I get why she skipped it. Every part of me rejects <laughs> seeing the same couple I'm going over to, more than one book. This Every is what I'm gonna me. do, Rudy. I'm gonna buy the three books. I'm gonna glue the covers together to make it one big book and then I'm going to give it to Gabby for Christmas. Do you no, know what? I'd actually read it. <laughs> you see? It'd work. It's just like a mental, mental block. 100% yeah. it's the mental block. I feel like we do need to quickly acknowledge Sarah because <laughs> the last time we talked about this series and you insisted you wouldn't read the three books together and treat it as one book because big books suck. That's true. And Sarah... <laughs> no! Don't talk about it. Stop it. ...used this as an excuse to Sarah's- not read the bronze horse dude the bronze no <laughs> oh is that Paulina Simmons yeah Simons Simons uh Alexander Barrington and but isn't yes. that like a not a very it's, good book it's... do you want to live do you want is to this the survive one that people to keep foisting onto romance readers and then romance readers are like why did you tell me that was a romance is that the one can you fuck off like where are you getting it must your be the one because she's getting really aggro with me yes I, there are literally <laughs> only two people that don't like this book two people also, he's not a bro. He's not even. It's referencing a book of poetry. Anyway, oh my god, is this setting As Russia? I said, yes. yes. Have I got? Yeah, it is this book. But I couldn't read the rest of the series. Like I, I had to do like skim reading and like spot reading for the other two books. They are long. 
it wasn't so much that they were long as like they undid my happy ending to a certain degree and it just pissed me off she would actually hate it for sure oh yeah no you wouldn't be able to cope bad you can't read it it's pretty bad like there were times where but the thing is it's not a romance it's definitely not a romance. I know that because a romance reader said to me, this girl at work found out I'm a romance reader and made me read this book and I'll never forgive her. Well, it's like, who told Gabby me to made read? Me read it. Yeah, and you loved it. Can you, I just want to know, who recommended me read Flowers in the Attic? No. No one? No one here? Because I'll kill you. Read it. Flowers in the Attic. I remember when reason. you read it. For some reason, I don't know I what. I think you decided that you were going to start reading uh, classics. No. Yes. And you were. This is slander. Thoroughly unimpressed. This is slander. Also, Flowers in the Attic is not a classic, surely. Anyway. I think it's a classic of popular fiction. I don't trust anyone else, Rudy. Like, Mm. and I hate, I hate giving you all this praise. I do. But I don't trust anyone's recommendations. It's like, do people give you books for Christmas Mm -hmm. or like for your birthday or whatever? Yeah. I hate that. It's like, you don't know me. Stop pretending that I'm going to read this book. Just just because you like, found did you it. get this off my wish list? Like, send it back. <laughs> like, I'm not going to read it. My parents used to get me books for Christmas, but my parents didn't know that I was reading sexy books. Like, I was reading really sexy books and they would just get me like, oh, this was on the shelf. I thought you'd like it. It's like, no, it wasn't from the correct section. Bookshelves, <laughs> bookshops in Australia don't sell the books that I read. My dad tries to buy books for me sometimes. Do you I mean, there are other people that do this too, but he is definitely the, the worst, worst offender. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost, I've lost track of what we're talking about. Burn for me by Elona Andrews. But we should probably do another reading. So, Cat. Well, the next reading is by our favourite cinnamon roll reader, Dim. She is reading from A Week to be Wicked by Tessa Dare. Maybe beautiful isn't the proper word. It's too common. And the way you look is rare. You deserve a rare compliment. One sincerely meant and crafted just for you. So there will be no doubt. You really, you needn't. Hush. I'm going to compliment you. Honestly, no raven's wing nonsense. You needn't say a word in return. But I will insist you stand there and take it. She watched him in the mirror as his brows drew into a frown of concentration. Once, he said, years ago, I heard this fellow speak at the Adventurers Club. He talked about his journeys into the Amazonian jungles. Minerva didn't like where this excursion was headed. She had the dreaded feeling he was going to compare her to some strange cannibalous plant, one that lured its prey with garish red flowers and scent of decaying meat. Was an entomologist, this fellow. Oh God, worse insects. He was going to compare to some giant hairy-legged jungle insect, one that spat venom away at small rodents. Calm down, she told herself. It might be a butterfly. Butterflies were pretty, even beautiful, depending on the variety. Sure, they came big as dinner plates in the Amazon. Anyhow, this fellow had spent all this time with the natives in the thick of the jungles, hunting down hard-shelled beetles. Beetles? The word came out as a whimper. Can't remember, to be honest. I slept through much of his talk, but what I recall is this. These native people lived with deep in the jungle, the language had dozens of words for rain, because it was so common to them, you see. Where they lived, it rained almost constantly, several times a day. So they had words for light rain, and heavy rain, and pounding rain, something like 18 different terms for storms, and a whole classification system for mist. Why are you telling me this? 
his touch skimmed idly down her arm. Because I'm standing here, wanting to give you a fitting compliment, but my paltry vocabulary fails me. I think what I need is a scientific excursion. I need to venture deep into some jungle where beauty takes the place of rain, where loveliness itself falls down the sky at regular intervals, dots every surface, saturates the ground, hangs like vapour in the air, because the way you look right now, his gaze caught hers in a reflection, they'd have a word for it here. Entranced by his touch and his warm, melting tone, she watched her own eyes go glass in the mirror. She leaned back a fraction, resting against his chest. His heartbeat pounded against her spine, echoing through her chest like some distant drum. There'd be so many words of beauty there, he went on, bringing his lips closer at ear and dropping his voice to a murmur. Words for everyday showers of prettiness and the kind of missing loveliness that disappears whenever you try to grasp it. Beauty that's heralded by impressive thunder, but turns out to be all flash. And beyond all these, there be this word, a word that even the most grizzled, wizened elders might have uttered twice in their lifetimes, in hushed, fearful tones at that. A word for a sudden, cataclysmic torrent of beauty, with the power to change landscapes, make plains out of valleys, and alter the course of rivers, and leave people clinging to trees, alive and resentful, shaking their fists at the heavens. A hint of sensual frustration roughened his voice. And I will curse the gods along with them, Nin. Some wild monsoon raged through me as I looked at you just now. It's left me rearranged inside, and I don't have a map. They stared into the mirror at each other at themselves. I fall in love with you, she said, with quiet resignation. If I appear changed somehow, I can only imagine that's why. So good. <sighs> that is absolutely my favourite Tessa Dare book. I love it. It's such a beautiful passage. I think that that's like the best of romance. I know we say that probably after all of these readings, but just this kind of, I don't know, it's like it's romance. Like that's what romance is, the struggling to find words to put into, to try to make it concrete how much you love someone or how how much you were just fascinated by someone and to just search everywhere, everywhere around you to try to find those words. But but this is also <sighs> the reason why it's annoying when people talk about romance as being, you know, kind of the same thing mm. just in a different cover because it's really not. And I think if you're a romance author who has written, you know, maybe more than f five books, more than ten books, it would be hard to keep refreshing those words and finding new words to portray similar but different emotions. Like yeah, it's exactly. so complex mm. it's and love, so subtle. It? Like how do you portray love in all of its in different ways? Yeah, because mm. there's so many books that do it so well that I think that's one of the. I mean, for me, because I I have a tendency to think of Tessa Dare as an author like she does sort of fun and fast light books, yes. and then if you let yourself forget you can forget that there are these really intense, quiet scenes and I think she writes them right. really beautifully. Because I, I totally, I, I've read that book and I love that book, but I remember it. I remember that series for how fun and, and happy it was and how, like, how much I laughed through it, but how kind of cute and sweet and sexy it was. But that is not just cute or sweet. That is. That's like quiet and, and intense. Yeah. And yeah. All the different words for beauty. But that series as well, I love the premise of that series. And Rudy will correct me if I'm wrong and I probably will be wrong because my memory is horrible. 
Um, but I believe it's a group of women in a sort of small town who have decided that they're not basically not going to take shit from men anymore. And yes, like, aren't they like women who are like trying to do stuff? It's the Spindle Cove series, but some of them are not there because. Oh, is it the fallen women? Well, like it's all kind of, it's a mixture. Okay. Some of them. So some of them have been sent there. Some of them like by their families because they're kind of unmanageable or, or they're scandalous. Yeah. It's kind of this weird little seaside was village. There like some sort of smuggling involved or did I just imagine that? I mean, well, the, cause the militia in oh, the, the very militia, first book, yes. the, militia the militia arrive because it's a strategic point. I think it's, it's very, it... very close to France. Okay. So like, and cause they're still at war, although it's kind of the tail end of the Napoleonic war. So I think I they do My actually. History is so terrible. I only remember because I'm fairly sure they do actually at some point in the series it becomes peacetime, possibly in one of the novellas. Yeah, there's there are novel. Have you um, read the novellas I think in the series? I I love them. I feel like sometimes I am like Goldilocks, where it's like, <laughs> no, that's too long. Mm, no, that's too short. Mm, this is just right. Like, is it ever too soft and too hard? Always. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Such a problem when it's too soft. Why did I just think? Yeah, Lord, just at that time. Why? But you know, this book, the beginning of it is so like, like you can't not read on. This is how the beginning goes. When a girl trudged through the rain at midnight to knock at the devil's door, the devil should at least have the depravity, if not the decency, to answer. That's actually amazing. <laughs> but also, did you just do a reading off the tail end of a reading that we invited yes. somebody yes. to send to? No, but this Always is just the intro. Constantly <laughs> My Lord, I can't even, like, contribute. how can I do a better reading than DM? And cannot. No, oh I can't. God. Her voice right. is so soothing. Not possible. Soothing. All right, the next reading. I'm actually a little bit, I'm a little bit wary. I'm a little bit wary. Um, I love this reader. I love this reader very deeply. I don't know how she feels about me sometimes. Sometimes I think she loves me. Sometimes I'm not too sure. Sarah was on a previous episode. You can find her on her Twitter at bluestocking underscore A. And she is going to be reading Craving Flight by Tamsin Parker. It is about two Orthodox Jewish people coming together and having a BDSM relationship in their arranged marriage. Good afternoon, Zipporah. Good afternoon, Alan. His jaw tightens at my response, only barely visible by the shift of his beard. I have to resist swallowing. His eyes focus on my mouth, my lips, and then his gaze travels down my neck to the buttoned-up collar of my shirt. The wings inside me beat harder under his gaze, even though it makes me nervous because his dark eyes are so intense. I don't truly mind his scrutiny. I like the way he looks at me. With the shop being relatively empty and his attention distracted by examining what I'm wearing, it gives me a chance to return the favour and study him, the way his broad shoulders fill out his white shirt, how the fabric grazes his biceps, but his forearms, those are definitely my favourite. The sleeves rolled up nearly to his elbows show off the veins and muscles, the masculine dusting of hair that reaches to his wrists, his hands battered and scarred from his work but scrubbed clean rest on the counter behind the glass i even admire his clip to the quick fingernails what can i get for you today his words startle me how much longer have i been staring at him than he's been staring at me blood rushes to my cheeks and my face glows hot forget my cheeks i must be blushing from my collar to the tickles that cover my head it is a ridiculous thought 
but I'm so flustered I think my hair might even be turning redder under the scarves. My reactions to even the most innocent interactions with Alan are visceral. It's as though he knows how to communicate with the very centre of me. Half a pound of ground beef, please. His expression doesn't change, impeccable as ever, but there's a small shake of his head. I'm confident he finds me faintly ridiculous, this interloper who hasn't quite adapted to her new surroundings. I stick out like a parrot in in the tiaga. (sighs) I've been trying, but I don't know that I'll ever feel comfortable at home here. Spaghetti and meatballs again? Am I imagining the tinge of judgment in his voice? I could be. I've been told I'm overly sensitive to these things. Probably the result of too much of my life spent studying other people, watching for nuances, coding and decoding the words they've said, and trying to figure out what does it all mean? Four years as an undergraduate, six years earning a PhD, nine more as a professor teaching classes and doing research, I haven't figured it out yet. His hands come off the counter and he tears a piece of wax paper from a large roll before he pulls on gloves and takes a tray from behind the spotless glass of the case. Something else I like about Alan, how easily he moves in his work, how at home he is here. We have that in common, competence in our occupations. Though his is with his hands and mine is mostly in my mind, he weighs the meat and hands me a package tied with care along with some counsel. Don't forget, no parmesan cheese. Yes, I know. It's kindly meant, I think, but it mortifies me. I've been keeping kosher since I moved to this neighbourhood in Brooklyn. It should be second nature after so long, but even now I make mistakes. He gives me reminders sometimes because he knows I can be forgetful. It's such a cliche, the absent-minded professor, but I've been that way my whole life. Always with my nose stuck in a book, my brain churning with abstract thoughts instead of paying attention to worldly things. I've gotten caught out in the rain with, with my laptop, before because I didn't notice the gathering clouds and if I want to have a hope of being on time for anything, I need to set alarms. I've gotten better at hiding exactly how scatterbrained I am and it embarrasses me that he knows. Our fingers nearly brush as I take a small parcel and the almost contact is electric. At least for me it is. Thank you, I murmur, tucking the meat into my grocery bag that already holds a box of pasta and vegetables to make the sauce. Tomato, zucchini and onions. I'll chop carefully in my quiet apartment and put to the, on the stove to simmer while I grade papers I collect during the, during the seminar I just taught. I have high hopes since they're my seniors and it's October, but I don't like to count on anything. We'll see. You're welcome, Zipporah, the sound of my name formed by his mouth. The breath he expanded to say it, to acknowledge me, sends a pleasurable chill up my spine, but I try to ignore as I pay the younger man at the register. Turning to leave, I feel Alan's eyes on me as I go. What is he thinking as he watches the gentle sway of my skirt around my calves, the tightly wrapped colourful silk that crowns my head, the press of my palm to the door as I push to open it and head out onto the sidewalk? Or am I inventing the weight of his attention? I don't turn around to find out. I think of him as I walk down the street. The work of his strong hands... Safe in the sack that hangs from my shoulder. His soft but compelling voice. His presence behind the counter as reliable as the sun. He's always there. Though I've tried to ignore it and would never admit it to anyone, I've had a certain fascination with Alan since I walked into his butcher shop five years ago. And next week, I will become his wife. I'm not usually drawn to books which have religious themes, like just because Mm. I find... 
I don't know, sometimes it's hard to connect with them. But I like the idea of having a really kind of traditional exterior, but then something kinky. Arranged marriages and contemporary romance aren't a very common thing, but I actually think there are lots of cultures where you could write that and it'd be completely like contemporary. Actually, I'd like to read more. And marriages of convenience. Definitely. I think marriage of convenience, though, is like a totally different ball game, which I'm like, you know, but I'm just in the sense that I think a lot of people are wary of arranged marriages. I think arranged marriages creep people, a lot of people out because there's this lack of understanding. It's like when we like freaking, what are those shows that are on like married, married at first sight? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like all those reality shows where you just throw people together. And and... they're seen as this like, Oh my God, look at this weird social experiment. Like this is so different. And it's like, well, people have arranged marriages today and it's actually a completely normal part of their culture. And it's like culture and religion, I guess. But also you don't just like get someone from the street and go, come marry my daughter. Like it doesn't work that way. And I think based on what I've heard from like friends and friends of friends, like your family interviews them and Mm. then you get a chance to get to generally. Mm. I mean, I guess there are some examples where, you know, you're kind of just foisted onto your groom or bride to be, but normally you'd have a chance to meet each other and make sure that you actually can get along before people insist that you get married. Mm. There is something romantic potentially about this idea of falling in love with the person that you are kind of seen to be a perfect match for, even though you might not necessarily have that that foundational basis of knowing that person and well. also there's also um business arranged marriages and you could do like full enemies to lovers on yeah. those kinds of business see like when co- when companies merge and well shit. when Look, that's a k-drama trope when yes yes <laughs> when <laughs> oligarchy oligarchic families yeah. want to merge and you know these two privileged very spoiled kids have yes. to get along with each other Sometimes it does. Like most of the most of the K dramas I've seen with it, it has not ended well. I'm not going to no. lie to you. Like those marriages. But you know, one of the things I love about K dramas is how they like. I can't remember the word that they use for it, but if you're part of a wealthy family with a family business, like they're actually social responsibilities. Yeah, that they you're a chaebol. Of you. Yeah. So because of that, it comes with. Yeah, a role and a status at the same time. And if they find out that you were doing corrupt things, like society just completely turns on you. Your parents will turn on you. You'll be cast out on the streets. Anyway, that was also really uh, beautifully read, I'm just going to say. I would have loved to have heard Sarah read from Passion. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, no, I'm not even going to respond to that. No, you're so mean to me. Smiling very smugly right now. (laughs) But also... Because Sarah wasn't the only person that wanted to read from Passion. Um, There was actually quite a popular demand, which we'll have to get into a little bit later on. Don't roll your fucking eyes at me. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to go next. And I've chosen a Molly O'Keefe reading. It's a short story or maybe a novella. I don't know. I don't know the difference. How long does a novella have to be? Like 5,000 words? Did you just know. make that up? I was going to say like 15, right. but I Five might be 15. wrong. Anyway, it's called Make You Mine by Molly O'Keefe. It is either a short story or novella. Oh, Gabby, you've... Seven and a half to 40,000 words. For a novella? For a novella. I genuinely don't know how many... So who was correct there? There you go. This guy. Yeah, that guy. The reason that I chose it is actually because you were talking with Kate 
Cuthbert about politics in romance and you both had really interesting thoughts on that but it immediately made me think of this anthology which is called Rogue Acts and there's a few different authors that have all written really highly political stories to be included in the anthology and this is one of them. It's also one for Sandra Antonelli because it's older hero and heroine so it's a female politician and her media advisor. And her media advisor, who's the point of view that this is going to be from, has had a bit of a day. He was on national television earlier in the day and got into an argument with a political opponent and punched him out. Nice. So he's he's dealt <laughs> he's dealt with this very um fireable offense. Mm-hmm. By just sort of, he's walked out of the out of the TV studio, and into a dive bar. So he's sitting there, quietly getting drunk, waiting for the fallout. He smelled her perfume, felt her in the movement of air at his shoulder, the ripple of awareness over his skin. I'll have whatever he's having, she said to Lloyd, and sat down. On the far side of the bar, there was murmur of recognition, but that was all. The Lloyds' clientele was not particularly interested in the female candidate for governor of New York. He was interested. And thanks to the shots and the blood-pumping violence of the day, he was particularly interested. He took her in in pieces. A small treat for a shit day. It might, he thought, be the very last time. Melodramatic, but whatever. He looked at her hands. Her right hand folded over her left. She didn't wear her ring anymore, hadn't for the last three years. The nails were trim and clean. She used to bite her thumbnail down to the quick, a bad habit that got ironed out when Ben became mayor. She was wearing her favourite red suit, the one with the thin black belt. It was Jay's favourite too, because it was sexy. The best kind of sexy. Restrained. Polished. He was wound up, so he imagined, for a moment, slipping the black belt loose, undoing those buttons down the front, revealing what it was Maggie wore under the sexy jacket. Of course she would be wearing that suit today. This looks like your kind of place, Maggie said, touching her fingertips to the tacky wood. You always liked a sticky bar. Used to be your kind of place too, he said, and sipped his beer. The drinks had gone right to his head. And he was going to be stupid. He could feel it. A million years ago, she said quietly. She tilted the bottle of beer to her lips. You're supposed to do the shot first. I know what you're supposed to do, but it's not quite what I should do, is it? No one's watching. He sensed more than saw her glance around, confirming that no one at Lloyd's had their phone out, directed towards her. No one was looking at them out of the corner of their eye. The folks at Lloyd's had their own troubles. Quickly, she downed the shot. Oh my, she breathed. And he smiled before he could stop himself. You going to look at me? Maggie asked. I am. I'm just bracing myself. Jay didn't say that, but he did swivel on his stool to face her. Maggie Perkins. Candidate, former first lady of New York City, his best friend, the love of his goddamn life. I've goosebumps. You say that. Good... You said that last time too. I don't believe you're such you. a good reader. I, should, yeah, look, look, I <laughs> Well, they're gone down now. They're a fleeting thing. I can't hold them over as evidence to you. 
sounds really cool. I don't know why though, but I was thinking like Maggie's Hillary Clinton in my head. No, I had the same <laughs> thought. She um, could also be Julia Louis Dreyfus from Veep. <laughs> Just that same. Could go either yeah. way, I guess. And so it's this kind of interesting dynamic between the two of them because she and her husband, Ben, and Jay all met at university, at college, because it's America. Um, they all met at college in like politics and ethics or some class like that. And Jay had a crush on her immediately, but she chose Ben. So he became the best friend. And then he became, he had a working relationship with them as a couple and he keeps his distance and he keeps sort of that very distinct line. But Ben, when this book has started, Ben has died and been gone for three years. Well, that's different. I thought it was going to be like, Ben was a dick. I mean, Ben kind of reads like a little bit of a dick. Okay. Like Maggie had more potential than he was willing to let her sort of realise. A bit Because she is. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of get the sense that Jay was never threatened by her power, but Ben was. Well, I feel like in that excerpt, it's like, it's exactly what attracts him to her is Mm. her power. Yeah. I love the restrained, it was like restrained Restrained sexy. sexy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, she's, she's very classy. The whole way through it, she's very classy, but also is she like, inaccessible though? Is that no, like is that well, sexist? Is that like some internal misogyny coming out? Well, I mean, not once she lets her guard down. Mm. Like she, I got the sense that she's very much one of those people that like she's got her sort of public persona, mm. which I imagine most politicians, successful politicians, would have. You have to have um, it. You'd hope. <laughs> but also, I love the fact that you know she's. Dressed professionally, but also if She's you're attracted to, to her, is this you would think that was sexy. In our political climate here in Australia, which is slightly different to what's happening in America, this whole politician with staffer mm. kind of relationship. Mm. Well, they've well and truly taken on board the lessons of their politics and ethics classes, mm. these two, because... Um, I mean, he's he's already kind of fired because he's punched somebody on national TV. Okay. So by the time they anything happens between them like literally anything because even at this point he's done he yeah that's kind of reassuring isn't it it's kind of makes it an easier read so you can be battling with all these other like political issues but not feel conflicted about the nature of their relationship you can feel like okay there's no actual abuse of power this is Mm. okay to read i think that o'keefe did a really good job of making him walk that really fine line of somebody who recognizes what's happening but also doesn't actually like so he's not like the classic male feminist who's like yes i'm gonna teach i think but because i think we also give the benefit of doubt to a romance hero where you wouldn't give a benefit of the doubt to like a stranger but when you're in a book you're supposed to trust the main characters so you do like that you have an assumption of trust with the main characters and that sort of gets you through some of these problematic conversations i actually think that trust is rooted in the fact that it's written by women these are male yeah, characters that are I think written so by too. women if there were male characters written by men i don't think i'd have that natural trust mm. because i am always skeptical about the way men talk about these issues because it's not necessarily a conversation that they can lead or should lead i don't know complicated yeah. anyway that's a what we're gonna call novella by Molly O'Keefe. Yes, it is a novella. And it's from Confirmed. it's from Rogue Axe. And so there's also like... Is that a collection? Yes. 
So there's... Um, or is Rogue Acts a series? I think both. I think there's I actually think. multiple volumes and they're all called that. How do you feel about volumes, Gabby? <laughs> Look at your well, because I, I, I think it's more that it's like it's different authors that are invited oh, to okay, write to this right, particular right. theme of like political revolution kind of stuff, but like in a contemporary setting. So there's others in this book that are like this podcast hosts. I haven't read that one because <laughs> I have like you're deep, approaching with I have like trepidation. Yes. Like, could you read a, could you but read a also, book about your profession? Is like I can, but people really misunderstand what is involved. Oh, but I was going to say that it's MM and I feel like such an asshole as I say this, but too many men have podcasts. They just need to stop. <laughs> if it was FF, you'd read it. But yes. MM is like, no, I cannot. Like, dudes, you can just talk to your friends. You don't need to record it and put it out there for the world. Silencing our male, re- our male listeners. Yeah, How I dare am. you? I'm I mean, going to have to cut all of that out. I'm so It's not sorry. false because I'm a member of a couple of podcast communities on Facebook. But, yeah, there seem to be like, oh, I'm starting a podcast and it's just a friend and I talking about stuff you're know. allowed to just have lunch with your friend yeah, it doesn't need to be public <laughs> i guarantee like just technology has made everyone feel like their opinion matters and should be heard and i feel like not all opinions should be heard is that really mean <laughs> she's no. gonna cut that really mean? oh, you oh cut no i firmly <laughs> agree anyway cat what, what so, are you reading okay well i was a bit torn about choosing this reading because it's written by mina the Esquera who I kind of have a working slash friendly relationship with. So I feel like it might come across as a bit biased. But also you've, you have read this book. Me? Um, Rudy has read this book and has liked this book. And a few other readers have read and liked this book. Not Gabby? So I can't remember if you've read this we'll book. We'll learn. So ready. I feel like it is a book that I can unbiasedly say is a good book. It's called Iris After the I've read this book. I know, but I can't remember who I've, amazing. I've foisted it on. So I'm going to be kind of moving around in the story because the focus of this reading is actually the lipstick. And I love the way that the lips. Well, anyway, let me read it and then we can talk about suspense. <laughs> Viscosity is how thick and sticky a semi-fluid thing is. I know this now. I know this because I was sitting cross-legged on my couch facing Gio, asking him to explain chemistry and cosmetics, how one decides to get a degree in chemical engineering when the family business was going to keep him wealthy anyway. Because I don't like them, he said matter-of-factly. I don't like my family either, I told him. There were differences in our runaway situations, though. I preferred that we talk about the chemistry. He lit up in a totally different way whenever I asked him about it. So there's like a few excerpts of like the types of things that he would say. And then the narrator goes on the heroine. It didn't take much to let him continue at this. And before we knew it, it was an hour of pigments, adherence, formulation, long wear. You're not bored. Are you kidding? You're good at this. But you work where you work and you're interested. No one else I know is interested in this. No one else asked an attractive blue-eyed boy to explain viscosity to them. And why not? Why hadn't anyone else ever wondered why lipstick felt the way it did when it slid across her lips? I uncrossed my legs and rose up on my knees. 
Between us was Bella Mario Lipstick 843, yet to be given a sassy feminine product name. And I popped the cap off the tube, twisted it to push up the bullet-shaped product inside. It was a darker red, something I probably would have chosen for myself, something I'd wear on a night out when I still did that. It was a subtle red though, because as Geo explained, you couldn't use some pigments if you were going for certain types of certification. Certainly not the kind of red that's obtained from crushed insects. Placing one hand on his knee to steady myself, I brought the tube to my mouth and applied 843, bottom lip first, generously, then swept through my upper lip twice, imagining myself in front of a mirror. The lipstick felt creamy and smooth. Welcome, because I was always a drink away from feeling chapped every time. It smelled fruity. There was something mildly cool about it, too. Is there mint in this? I asked. Geo straightened up, and it was a shorter distance now to my mouth, and he kissed me, tasted it for himself. I didn't allow him a light peck, though. I made sure the kiss lingered, and he got to taste lipstick and lips and tongue. He pulled away and laughed softly. Yes, I can confirm mint. His lips and the side of his mouth were streaked with it now. You're right, this thing doesn't adhere very well. Gio began the adorable and futile task of rubbing lip colour off his face without knowing where exactly it was, and I swatted his hands away to do it myself. The red on his face was a map of my favourite nibbles, apparently, from the smear on his lower lip and right underneath it, the corner of his mouth, a spot on his jaw halfway to his chin. Rubbing it off with my thumb wasn't working. All it did was spread it around thinly like a modest blush on the lower part of his face. Okay, so then that scene sort of ends uh, shortly after that. But then this reference to it is just one of my favorite parts of the book. So let me just go and find it. So then I skip a few chapters. When I went to work on Monday, I was wearing new lipstick. Kimmy had given me two, and this was the softer pink labeled 497. It was the kind of color that was barely there because it closely matched my own lips but I wore it with conviction. Look at this girl, friends, sex, new lipstick. Life was happening again. Gio recognized it as soon as I kissed him. You taste like work, he said, a tiny shred of it sounding like a complaint. I actually didn't notice that when I read oh. it. And I, <laughs> I feel really slack and like not a good reader now. It's so good. <laughs> But even though you weren't reading it like it was dirty, I don't know if I remember it being as dirty as that. Well, actually, I as do. I was reading, I was like, wow, this is all very phallic. Yeah, like rude. when you, when like viscosity. Like <laughs> oh, no, that I remember. Viscosity, mm. It's like filthy, like the crossing and the uncrossing of legs, the bullet-shaped, like super red lips. Like it's, <laughs> I, know, I saw your face in the corner. <gasps> like, oh, my God. It's so sexy but so, so understated. Like, no, it's not understated. So this is my... For people who've never read romance class books before, my first two recommendations are Learning to Fall for someone who wants li- something light and fun or Iris After the Incident for someone who I know likes a more sort of feminist type text. And it has not failed me yet as mm. a recommendation. That's pretty great. It's a great, great book. Is it time? I think so. Do we want to talk about that small? <laughs> or is it time? So we can- I think... We can move on to the climax. Of oh, this I was going to say climax. <laughs> oh, what a way to frame it. What a way to frame it. Okay. 
when I was at university, a few friends and I would go into the empty lecture rooms and conduct readings of this book because it was cinematic in its erotica. It's pretty great. I'm not going to do an English accent. It's too hard. It is a, a reading. I'm so glad I got in early since so many people wanted to read it. And uh, even Rudy, you said that you would have read it if nobody else had yep. read it, but clearly there wasn't that issue. <laughs> the only reason why Sophie didn't read it, the only reason why Sarah didn't read it is because I got in first. This is <laughs> the best book of all time. Yes, Kat is the most wrong about uh, this book. It is Passion by Lisa Valdez. His hand held her breast. Passion Elizabeth Dare looked down at the large, grey-gloved hand cupped over her lavender silk of her bodice. It rose and fell with her rapid breath. A black-clad arm curved around her waist, holding her tightly. So tightly she felt the firm pressure of a body against her back. Did no one see? No, the spectators and exhibitors were too busy trying to round up the scamps who had toppled the tall potted plant, too busy fanning the elderly matron who had fainted when it crashed in front of her, too busy ensuring that none of the fine porcelains in the exhibit had been disturbed, too busy to notice her, who had been swept out of harm's way even before she herself had seen the peril of the falling palm. His body shielded her from most of the crowd. His hands didn't move, and though the brim of her bonnet hid her view from him, she felt his head tip forward. Was he looking at his hands upon her? Passion blinked slowly. She felt she was in a dream. A stranger held her with unabashed intimacy in a public place. He smelled of lemon verbena. Why did she feel so safe? As she turned to face him, her gaze followed the path of her saviour's grey-gloved fingers. They smoothed around her waist and across her breast. Lifting her nipple to a hard peak, Passion closed her eyes with a gasp. Then, as his hands moved up her arms in a long, unrelenting caress, an infinitesimal spark flared between his glove and her sleeve. The hot tingle penetrated her skin and ignited her nerves. Shivering down her spine, it flooded her womb, then shimmied down her legs. Passion bit back a moan. His fingers gripped her shoulders. Her breasts ached and she felt moisture on her thighs. How long had it been since she had felt desire? The low but constant hum of voices surrounded her. She was in the Crystal Palace, Prince Albert's wondrous endeavour to exhibit the world's ad advancements in manufacturing, textiles and art. She had come to meet her cousin Charlotte in the China, not to be fondled by a stranger. Passion's eyes flew open. Blue. The eyes she stared into were vividly blue. Blue as the wings of a butterfly she had once seen fluttering by her window. She drew a deep breath. Could she paint eyes that colour? Could she capture their intense gaze? Could she draw the particular slant of the dark brows that frowned at her from beneath the brim of his top hat? And what of his wide, sensually curved mouth? By God, but he was beautiful. His nostrils flared before his hands slid slowly down her arms to her wrists. Passion felt his fingers pressing firmly against her racing pulse. She couldn't move. She couldn't speak. She just stood, trembling, while his hot blue gaze moved over her features. People shifted past them, around them. Behind, someone laughed loudly, startling her. He cast a quick, almost angry glance toward the source of the boisterous laughter before releasing her wrists. For a long moment, his eyes bored into hers. She stared back, frozen. Finally, he lifted his hand to the brim of his hat. With a nod, he turned and walked away. Did I preface that 
it's the opening scene. Like she's getting groped in public, <laughs> feeling intense desire. He's. Can I just say oh this God. is this is about when I thought that book was crap. But anyway, I think wow. let me just say that actually when you read that wasn't as bad as I remembered it. So I think Thank maybe you. your reading made the book better than it really is. This is why we did public readings. This yeah. is how I forced them to read it, telling them, oh, the plot of the book is that he has to marry the girl who can take all of his penis. It's <laughs> not as compelling. I mean, it'll get penis. the arm size. It's the arm. No, no. It's, it's baby arm. It's her womb that can take the arm-sized penis. Yeah, because her multiple cervixes pop <laughs> in the... Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Because he had a Maybe huge it dick. Was it his? Was it her cervix? But the dick. Oh, Maybe it was only feel, her one cervix. Like, well, there was something unusual yeah. about her, her baby room, making yes. place. <laughs> um, was there something unusual? No. I well, it was just amazing that she could physically take all of him. I think that it's really funny that you say that. That might not be a selling point for. I mean, look, <laughs> it's it's a selling point for some of us because mm. I would have read. For the what the fuckery. Do you know what? For the second for the second series of this, I am shotgunning it now. Like I'm going to say that I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read a section from Primrose because I feel like we don't talk about. The third section of this, I think, is what you meant. Of the readings? Well, this is still technically the first. Oh, okay. This edition. is 1B. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> 1B. Yeah, exactly. That 1A, 1B. When we get to 2A. It's I'm like her cervixes. Yes. Never ending. <laughs> the capacity to take on as much. I don't know. I just, I... I just don't think she's deliberately sets out to transgress. She might have accidentally, I don't know. But like that whole idea of he likes her because her vagina is the only vagina that will fit his dick. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I find it really offensive that this big vagina is somehow <laughs> unusual. Like, come no, on. But can I just say, this is an upgraded version of Jude Devereaux's classic trope. I haven't of read Jude Devereaux. Marry so, the one who can tell the twins apart. Like, if you can tell oh, the twins. Oh, I like twins, that one. Yeah. Well, no, but, but it's, it's the it, same premise. It it's is. It's the same very premise. It's, it's like someone same. is fated to be with you. You recognize me for who I am. You can fit the no, giant thing. No, it's like, different. It's, I was going to say it's very Cinderella. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's classic Okay, maybe if I think of it that way, where the dick is a sentient being that recognizes a sentient okay, vagina. No, is, I do think we're getting too caught up on, on that aspect of it. But it is It's a, a real... major part no, of no, no, the no. whole thing. Say, there's actually such intense, like, and it sounds so weird because I just finished saying that I don't read religious romance but there is a really heavy christian slant in it where the bible is read in a way that i never understood that and i think as a as a like lapsed catholic i think that's why it resonated with me because it made the bible something that wasn't chaste and demure and anti-sex it made it sexual in the sense of like reading what was what was it I can't song, even song, of song of solomon song of solomon oh but song of solomon the, was always like the porn of the bible come on everybody knew i was knows not that. exposed to the song of I mean, solomon by the way when i got married one of my readings was, was from the song, song of solomon kinky I mean, that like, was my transgression see there you go like realistically not everybody knows that like i mean because i wasn't raised religious i had no fucking clue I was until i was religious and i had no idea there are queer readings of the Bible and it's just like that kind of aspect of spirituality interests me. And I don't think that this book is purely about sex. I think it's about how sex is an integral or... Do you know what I mean? Uh, like, maybe yeah, like it's, it's Actually, a, yeah. yeah, maybe that 
that it's a necessary might be... part of their relationship. Not that, can we just flag oh, okay, this? Yeah. Not that you need sex to have a full relationship. That's not what is being said. Um, I just want to clarify because I do understand. No, I think I, that... I think I know where you're going. And I think that's part of my the reason why I dislike this book so much is because I do see those elements of it where, you know, there's a, like a whole thread that happens in this book about her trying to come to terms with like the shame associated with being a sexual being and be and liking these kinky things that are like socially unacceptable, like having sex in a museum behind the wall or whatever, which I actually liked and understood. But just the, the hero was just written in such a, like I wanted to punch him in the face and I just thought she deserved better than him. He was willing to do anything for her. He was a dickhead with a big dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think. And I was just like, she's more than a big vagina. But I think he knows that. I, I, think yeah, he knows I don't that. think that he ever thinks He's of her as, never. as. Well, I think the writing, for me, when I read it, that's, that's what I remembered about the writing. So maybe for me, the writing got in the way of a good story. I, I don't know. I think in that opening scene, what it doesn't, like when they actually are having sex behind the door, behind the, the screen or whatever, one of the things that really kind of made it romantic and not just sexy was how emotional she was and how like just taken taken over by this person who had understood something that she didn't even realize herself and he understood that she had been waiting and wanting and he saw her and he was not getting something from her he's not seeing her as this vessel he's seeing of what he can actually give to her to make her feel less broken and less I'm going to have to read it again. It's about time for my reread. I haven't read it for like two or three years. I think years. I'll reread well, it Yeah, too. you should. You definitely, everyone should reread it. Or read it. Um, or read it because one day book three will come out. Oh my God, should we check now? Let's check when the last update was. Lisa Valdez. I, I actually feel February a bit terrible for this. Well, when was the last time you checked? But I, oh, no, like way more recently. But I think the last update was something like February of 2014. Like, yes, oh, 17. 260. 2016. Oh, 2016, my oh. bad. I expected to have a release date for you by now. Alas, I do not. Two years later, we're still waiting. Lisa. <laughs> I feel bad for this author. I think um, because as much as people like Rudy and Gabby really love this book, there are people who dislike it even more than I mm. do and were really vocal about it. Oh, really? I think I missed that. I think I was, well, yeah, I was completely like, unaware. I believe I heard about this book at Dear Author. So you imagine Dear Author at that time was in its heyday mm. and the the number of people who would have picked up this book as a result of that. And, you know, the commenters there at the time didn't they censor don't their punches. words. Yeah. So, and that's only the stuff you see online. So you, you can imagine people would have tried to contact the author and told her what they think because, mm. you know, some people do not know how to if, like. If that's the case. It's sad. It's hard for authors, I guess, today when they there's like no... There's no boundary between reader and author. They get every single thing that is being said. They hear it all. Um, I hope that wasn't the case for her. I just thought she was busy. <laughs> my my impression was that she struggled a lot with book two because of the reactions to book one and it kind of got into her head a bit and I don't know what the issue is with I feel book three. Book she two had, was even more of a risk though. She book had two. way more criticisms about book two. Yeah, than... it was a riskier topic to have a BDSM yeah. book set in that time and it was intense, like... Was, did she have more criticism or yeah. did the criticism just overpower the praise more? 
I don't know. Um, I'll give Lisa a call later. But <laughs> you do that. But, and ask her to please update her website. But from memory, she very like she took the critiques of of book two a lot more to heart because yeah. like a lot of the critiques had to do with there being too much sex and or it was, consent. I thought it was and consent, consent issues. Like, well, and BDSM is a hard thing to write about, especially when you are writing about someone who is incredibly inexperienced, who is with someone who is incredibly experienced and they don't have the language of today. They don't have the language or the tools of modern day feminism to kind of back up that kind of um, dynamic. You're working or in it. even just to be able to research, like go off and have the autonomy to do your research yeah. in a safe way. That Yeah, like, and then come back and be like, okay, I've worked out kind of the bare bones of what my, what my lines are. Like Anastasia Steele. Mm, bless her. <laughs> she had no autonomy. I'm just, she yeah. didn't, I know, but um, at least she had the internet. She did. That's or true. Something. Closing statements? I don't know. I'm still not a passion fan, but uh, I'm willing to give it one more try since... Um, <laughs> I have actually apparently caused people to read Nicholas by Elizabeth Ander, which by Elizabeth Such Amber, a shit which, book. Like how you can recommend Nicholas and hate Passion? It I, actually doesn't. How many not, penises does he have? Two. And you complain about a big penis, but you're okay with two penises. I did not recommend the book as a whole. I, I didn't like say did. this you is did, the best you did. book. I, did, I bought it. I was like, read this book because you have to because it's so like, I feel like why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you read a book about two penises? But I didn't say it was like, I feel like the best have, written book in the world. Do we have a record of her saying that we should read the book? Uh, oh, yeah, you should read Somewhere. the book. But I didn't say it was the best written book. You Because okay. I haven't actually read the whole book. I've only read the sex scenes. What you did, though, was you talked about the book in so- and never once brought up the fact that the rest of it is I mean, like I that it's I thought that was a given. Written. Wasn't no. that a given? No. Come on, because you're such Nicholas, a... When we're talking about passion and we're serious about like we might take the piss That's sometimes. actually, but that tells you in what section of my bookshelf those books, two books sit. <laughs> it's in the read this every two or three years to remind yourself Why? Okay, so we've cut Kat out. Rudy, it's really great to be here with you today and having this podcast. I'm so glad that we're now the founders of Book Theory. I just, the longer I know Kat, the less convinced I am that she's actually a romance reader. So we might leave it there. Preach it. Exposed. That brings us to the end of another episode. But can I just say, you guys rock. Of course, huge thanks to our brilliant audio producer, Rudy Bremer, who will be back to editing Iaspera interviews before you know it. You can find show notes for episode 62 at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. And speaking of Iaspera, our episode with Jennifer Halleck got some amazing feedback. But first, I have an apology to make. I was listening back to the episode and I realized that I had pronounced one of Jennifer's books as Hotel Oriente. To all the Filipino listeners of the podcast, I am sorry. I should have been saying it properly. Hotel Oriente. Okay, so I just want to read out a few of the tweets that I came across. Melinda on Twitter said she's been endlessly fascinated by the idea of chronotopes in historical romance since she first heard the term a few weeks ago. And she says, I'm so glad Jen came on to talk about it because she helped explain it better for me. 
I loved in particular her comments about believing the authors who write outside of the typical historical genres. On Facebook, author Renee Dahlia wrote, there were a couple of papers that really stuck with her after the IASPA conference, and Jennifer's paper was one of them. And romance class author Mina Viesguera, Mina was actually with me and Jen in most of the discussions that we had around chronotopes and sort of developing our ideas around what that means for us as readers, what that means for authors. So on Facebook, she wrote, she's starting to connect the idea of chronotopes to the resistance that Filipino authors have encountered among a certain segment of contemporary romance readers. And she goes on to speculate that there's a chronotope to contemporary romance that's also very US-centric and white, but also that maybe romance class books collectively have now created a chronotope that makes it easier for readers of one book to jump to the next one, even if it's by a different author, and thereby lessening the world-building burden on each of the authors individually. So it's really fascinating. I can already feel it's changing the way that I'm reading romances by authors of colour. Now, Aztec Lady also tweeted some feedback. This one was around episode 60 where Rudy and Gabby and I talk about the AAR list. I love all the unpacking you do in that discussion. From representation, whiteness being pushed as the narrative, what is genre romance versus what's on the list, what really good and popular writers of colour, especially Beverly Jenkins, Brenda Jackson, Farrah Roshan, are left out. She goes on to tweet, I don't know if you are aware of how widely used AAR lists are and refers to a Spanish blogger, Bona Caballero, who has done an amazing job for genre romance in Spanish and who used the 2013 AAR list as a springboard. Aztec Lady goes on to tweet, One cannot overstate how much those mainly white lists have influenced the reading of so many people all over the world. Thank you for all your tweets, your feedback, um, your live tweets. We really appreciate it. And we are still thinking about the AAR list, chronotopes, and the way that we read romances by writers of colour. If you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. This helps other listeners like you find the show. In the next episode, we delve into the world of the Larrys. Gabby and I chat with scholar Anne Trinidad about fanfic, fan space versus public space, and K-pop. In the meantime, please visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading. <laughs>